If for this life alone we have hoped in Christ, then we have missed the fullness of Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, um, good morning to everyone. Good to see you here in this lightly snowy morning. Um, before we d dive into the sermon, I just want to bring to you all's attention. Uh, some of you might be aware of the the radio program called On Being, which is hosted by uh, Krista Tippett. Anyway, this morning, on, on the way in, um, she had a, an old interview with a, an Irish poet named John O'Donohue, who has long since gone on to glory, but it was a fascinating and wonderful interview, him talking about um, life, spirituality, the inner life, the challenge of beauty and understanding how beauty works in our lives and, and what that really means. And so I just want to commend that to everyone's uh, attention. Uh, this was on uh, NPR, but I'm sure if you just uh, Google Krista Tippett on being and look for the interview with the Irish poet John O'Donoghue, uh, you will be fed by that one hour uh, listening to those two in conversation. But um, for today, we in this uh, sermon want to discuss the idea of resurrection and the struggles with it. We again find ourselves with the ancient people of Corinth and with the, the therapeutic healing word of God that is delivered by St. Paul. Now, some of you might recall a couple of weeks ago a sermon that I gave in which I described Paul's letter to the Corinthians as being like a doctor's black bag um, that is filled with medicines for whatever ails the person, whatever ails the patient. And so today, you know, we have a, a chapter that is addressing the affliction that some had with the idea of Christ's resurrection. You know, as I said earlier, you know, there are other uh, bits in Corinthians dealing with love, dealing with how we comport ourselves in the Lord's Supper, dealing with the struggles and arguments over pride and who can talk in the most tongues and who's the most sophisticated. But today, today's medicine is addressing the affliction of resurrection and its challenges. For the folks, it just, it, it just did not seem possible the resurrection of the body of Jesus Christ. The miracles seemed perhaps plausible. The healings were, were possible. But resurrection, resurrection was of a totally different order. Could it really be true? And Paul met the challenge with the timeless words that have given us just a way to, to understand and to enter into this basic tenet of our faith. Absent resurrection, our faith is futile and our sins remain. And those who have died have not entered into everlasting life, but have perished. This also was an idea that those in Thessalonica were struggling with. What's going to happen? What? Where have they gone, those who have died? And to them, Paul said, 
We do not grieve and mourn as those who have no hope. For we believe in the resurrection not only of Christ, but in the resurrection of those who have died in Christ. As he says here in today's passage, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Christ has been raised from the dead. Resurrection affirms that sin and death do not have the last word. That the last word belongs to God the Father, to our life-giving Lord, and to the Holy Spirit. Indeed, as Paul writes just a few verses later in this 15th chapter, death has been swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God, he writes, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this victory is experienced through the presence of the risen Lord and the empowering grace of the Holy Spirit. This is what sent Peter and Paul, what drove Mary Magdalene and Lydia, Apollos and Priscilla into the villages and towns of Greece, Egypt, Palestine, Cappadocia, and even into the gates of Rome, proclaiming a message in this stirring proclamation, Alleluia, the Lord is risen. This victory is what has brought us here today to offer our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Without this victory, we are not even here. There was no reason for us to be here. As I said, we shortchange ourselves and miss the fullness of Jesus Christ if only for this life we regard him and if only we consider his teachings and thus reduce him and make him little more than an exalted ethicist and moralist. And those today's gospel gives us a profound example of Jesus' teaching, a profound example of the great physician going through the town with the people gathering around him because power is emanating from him. All that is brought to us. But the scholar of the New Testament, Richard B. Hayes, has this to say as a reminder. The gospel, the gospel has no power to save us if Christ is not raised. His resurrection is not merely a wondrous event that confirms his special status before God. It is not simply a symbol for the flowers coming up every spring or for the hope that springs eternal in the human heart. The Christian faith is grounded in the rising from the grave of Jesus Christ, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. Brothers and sisters, Christ's resurrection is a guarantee of our own bodily, emphasize that, our own bodily resurrection. The Nicene Creed does not call us to affirm that our souls ascend to heaven only in leaving our bodies to rot and decay. That is not our affirmation. We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. But this is what tripped up some of the Corinthians and truth be told, should still give us pause. Maybe trips us up every now and then as we contemplate the awesome power of God and look to the eschaton, the second coming of Jesus Christ, when all things will be made new. When this mortal body, this mortal perishable body, 
of bone and muscle, of flesh and blood, will put on immortality and imperishability, and we will all be changed. That is our faith, and that is our hope. And again, I offer a few words from, from Hayes. He says that there is no authentic Christian faith without fervent eschatological hope. And there is no authentic eschatological hope without the resurrection of the dead. But can we say that there is resurrection in the here and now? Must it only be consigned to some unknown time? Question arises. What about today? What about now? Later in this chapter, Paul writes, I die daily. And if this is so, can we say then that there is, in a sense, a daily resurrection? Can we say that each day we are born anew and each day that we rise, we are given another opportunity to live in Christ? Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow is yet to come. So then what are we to do with this, our one precious day? How are we to live? We who die daily to the world. Our other readings this morning are, are filled with, with blessings and woes and curses and, and judgments. In the gospel, we hear echoes of the, the revolution of reversals that the virgin daughter of Nazareth proclaimed in her song of praise. You recall what the Magnificat says. Blessed are you who are hungry now. And blessed and hungry are those who are filled for they will be filled with good things, and the rich are sent empty away. And repeat that correctly. What she's saying. The hungry are filled with good things, and the rich are sent empty away. And today Jesus says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. But woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. In the synagogue in Nazareth, he said that he was anointed to bring good news to the poor. And today he says this good news is, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. These words, they point us towards the great consummation that attends the second coming, but these words may sound indeed, in a sense, peculiar and perhaps ridiculous, maybe even an insult if you happen to be living in one of the tents along the median of Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard in Baltimore. What blessing is there to be found in sub-freezing nights with no solid walls to protect you? We are cautioned, brothers and sisters, not to overly spiritualize Jesus' words. There are people laughing now whose joy and ease has come at the expense of others. In the same way, there are those who are weeping now over what life's circumstances has brought them. And both may be found here at St. Hans. And so the question again comes, who are we? What are we? I pray that we are among those blessed ones 
who have put their trust in the Lord our God. I pray that we are like those trees that are found in the psalm and in the passage from Jeremiah. Trees that are planted by streams of water bearing fruit. And what is that fruit if it is not the good works that is brought forth by our faith? The hungry need not wait for the second coming. We can feed them today. Those that weep can be consoled by us today. There is no need for us to be afraid or to be anxious if we get into what old John Lewis called the good trouble by working to make the world a better place. Rejoice in that day, Jesus said. Leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. And indeed, as they sang, that great getting up morning awaits. And we will be raised just as Christ was raised. But until that final resurrection and resurrection comes, let us take hold of our daily resurrection. Let us seize the moment, as that great Latin phrase, carpe diem, seize the day and live as children of the Most High God and bring Christ's love to the world. Christ's concern to the world. And may our world-shattering proclamation always be, Alleluia, Christ is risen. And may God's people say, the Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia, amen. <laughs>